Hey, let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading from verse 26 this evening. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over every, uh, sorry, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given uh, you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's open this evening with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity of being here this evening. We pray, Lord, that as we conclude our study of the creation week uh, this evening, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us through your word. Lord, may you refresh us as we consider these truths. Lord, empower me through the Spirit now. May it be your words, your thoughts. And may you be honoured and glorified in everything we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now this evening, we come to the conclusion of day six of creation. And indeed, the, the con- completion or the conclusion of the creation week. God's work of creation is now finished. Now last time we saw the wonderful truth that mankind was God's special, unique creation. Verse 26 and 27, as we just read, uh, God declares he's going to make man in his own image. We looked at the fact that God, before he creates man, has this discussion, this consultation takes place. And it's amongst the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have this, this conversation, this consultation concerning the creation of man, the creation of us. And the creation of man was a solemn event. And that's because God was about to create man in his own image. As we talked about last week, this sets us apart as being God's unique creation, unique from the rest of uh, the created animals and whatever else God has created. Man is unique. Man is set apart. Man was made, as we talked about last week, with the elements already in existence. God took the matter the dust of the ground, and he formed man, and he took the principle of life, gave man a living soul. We talked also about the fact that God created man. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. Excuse me. I 
fan is blowing my pages everywhere. Created man in his own image. We talked about that word created, how it's the idea of something completely new. And the something new is that the spirit, okay? It's the, that unique part of man, the eternal part of man, the spirit. That is like God. You know, we were created to be spiritual beings, to have a special, unique relationship with God himself. And so having created man, both male and female, God then gave to man some basic instructions. And this evening we want to consider these instructions from God and we want to look at the conclusion of God's work of creation. And so first of all here this evening in verse 28, we see God's blessing and commission. God's blessing and commission. Verse 28 says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So here we, have, we see that God now gives man this blessing, and he gives them this commission, okay, this basic commission to them, and it's divided here into two parts. The first part is he commands them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. We'll get it right. We don't want to turn it off. <laughs> All right. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's the first part of his commission here. The first part of the commission given to Adam and Eve is that they are to be fruitful and multiply. Now, we saw a very similar blessing, a very similar commission given to the marine life and given to the birds in verse 22. Just go back to verse 22 with me. In verse 22, it says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. And so God here, after he's created the marine life, after he created the birds of the air, God blessed them. And the blessing is very similar. God blessed them and he, he commanded them to fill the earth. And we talked about how this blessing here is, it contains two parts. It contains a command and also a provision for them to do this. He commanded them to reproduce and he gave them the ability to do so. And so that was the blessing given to uh, the, the marine life, given to the birds and the blessing or command given to Adam and Eve here is indeed very similar. Now in verse 28, it starts out, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. And so it's a very similar blessing, a very similar commission given to Adam and Eve here. But at the same time, it seems to be distinct. And this is because with the animals, there is no clear indication that God only created a single pair of each species of animal. There's no clear indication that he only created one pair of giraffes and one pair of dogs, whatever it might be. There's no clear indication of that. In fact, uh, verse 20, where we see the word abundantly, would seem to suggest that maybe he created many pairs of each species. Okay? In verse 20 it says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. That word abundantly, if you remember when we looked at verse 20, is the idea of swarm. 
And so God said, let the, the water swarm with life. And so he's, he's filled the oceans with life. And so it may well be that God has created more than one pair of each species of animal. You see, when it comes to mankind, it's clear that there's only one pair. Okay, There's man and woman, Adam and Eve. In chapter 2, uh, we see exactly how this all took place. Let's read from verse 20. Uh, chapter 2, verse 20, it says, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman. And he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And so here we have Adam and Eve, okay? God takes the rib of Adam and creates Eve, the, the first woman, and we have this first marriage relationship, the first husband and wife, Adam and Eve, this wonderful institution that God put in place here in the Garden of Eden, the first marriage relationship. And Adam and Eve here are given the responsibility by God of being the ancestors of all mankind. They're given this commission to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now let's consider that word replenish there. What exactly does that mean? You see, some have understood this word replenish to mean refill. Okay, or that the earth needed to be refilled with life. And they've used this word replenish to support their, their error of the gap theory. And we talked about the gap theory back in verse 2, if you remember. Let's just turn there. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Those who hold to the gap theory read verse 2 as being, and the earth was, uh, sorry, and the earth became without form. They, they believe that the earth was destroyed by some cataclysm, cataclysm that it destroyed everything. It, it terminated the geological ages, and so everything needed to be reformed. It needed to be redone. And they explain this, this great cataclysm as being divine judgment because of Satan's sin. So these ones who hold to the gap theory, they point to this verse and they point to this word replenish as being a proof that the earth did indeed get destroyed and needed to be refilled with life. And so we need to understand this word replenish. Well, the word in the Hebrew that's translated replenish here doesn't mean refilling. It doesn't mean to refill Rather, it simply means to fill, to fill or be filled. That's what the word talks about. And so to, to take this word and use it to support a false doctrine, uh, the gap theory, is indeed error, isn't it? We've taken the word of God and twisted it to mean something that it's not saying. As I said, this word simply speaks of God's command for man to be fruitful and multiply and fill 
the earth, populate fully this planet that God created for us to live upon. You know, we've talked about the fact that God created the earth to be unique, to support human life. And God here gives this mandate to Adam and Eve, to his descendants, to um, populate the earth, to fill the earth. Now, this is a command, a commission from God to man at the very beginning, and it's still God's commission for man today. It hasn't ever been rescinded by God. The commentator Morris on this writes this. He says, Man has not yet filled the earth in accordance with God's command. Nevertheless, many people today are unduly alarmed over the so-called population explosion. We can be sure that God's command, repeated incidentally after the flood, was made in full knowledge of the earth's ability to support a large population and it has never been rescinded. The point is God created the earth for man to fill the earth, to fully populate the earth, and God created it to sustain life, didn't he? Okay? And, and God is indeed in control. As we've seen before, God created it, but he didn't just let it go. God created it and God sustains it. And you know, there is a lot of fear, isn't there? There's a lot of fear amongst the, the unsaved that man is destroying the world. There's a lot of fear that man is destroying the world through overpopulation or through overuse of resources, through pollution. You know, the list goes on. There's this fear that man is destroying the world. But God created the earth to support human life and he gave us this command to populate the earth fully. The point is God made it to sustain that life, didn't he? And so we have nothing to fear as believers. We have nothing to fear. God is in control. God has given us this mandate and God will make sure it supports life. And so man is given this commission to fill the earth, to fully populate this, this planet. The second part of this commission here is that they're told to subdue and have dominion over. Verse 28 again, it says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth, Upon the earth. And so the second part of the commission here relates to these two words subdue and have dominion. Subdue and dominion. They're both military terms. The first word subdue here speaks about conquering. Okay, it's the idea of conquering something or someone or another nation. It's this conquering. The word dominion speaks about ruling over, to rule. And so the commission here given to man is that we are to conquer and to rule over God's creation. You know, in the context here, it's important we understand that there is no actual conflict that takes place. Okay, they are military terms used, but there's no actual conflict here. You know, Adam and Eve didn't have to fight every living creature on earth to subdue them and have dominion. Okay, they didn't have to fight. There's no conflict present here at the beginning. When God gives them this commission, everything is good. Okay, we'll look at it in verse 31. It's very good. Okay, so the earth is at peace. God's creation is at peace. And so we're not talking about a literal conflict here. Instead, these words are used to express man's supremacy. 
over the rest of God's creation and how man is to use and treat God's creation. And to explain this idea of subdue and have dominion over, many have referred to this as being the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. Um, The commentator Morris, he writes this, he says, the cultural mandate, as some have called it, is clearly a very expressive figure of speech for first, intense study of the earth with all its intricate processes and complex systems, and then secondly, the utilisation of this knowledge for the benefit of the earth's inhabitants, both animal and human. Here is the primeval commission to man, authorising both science and technology as man's basic enterprises relative to the earth. So basically the idea of these two words, subdue, conquer, is the idea that man is to study and understand this world so that we might then have dominion or rule, ordering and developing the earth and its resources for the greater good of the earth and for God's glory. Again, Morris writes this, he says, This twofold commission to subdue and have dominion, to rule, sorry, to conquer and rule, embraces all productive human activities, science and technology, research and development, theory and application, study and practice, and so forth, are various ways of expressing these two concepts. And so effectively here the command is that we understand and use what God has given us here on earth. Understand it and then use it, utilize it for good and for God's glory. You know, man is here in these verses established as God's steward over the created world and over all things therein. But you know, there is one thing that's clear and that is that man has failed in this mandate. Man's failed in this mandate. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews 2 and verse 7, it says, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownedest him with glory and honour, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. The reality is, at the end of verse 8, it says, but now we see not yet all things put under him. Man has not actually fulfilled this mandate. I mean, Christ did, okay? But man hasn't fulfilled this mandate. You know, man has failed in our stewardship. Man has failed in this stewardship. You see, instead of using the earth for good, instead of using the earth for God's glory, man has instead denied God, denied the Creator, and abused this stewardship that He gave to us. You know, mankind still seeks to subdue and have dominion over the earth. We still seek to gain knowledge and utilize the earth. But instead of using it for God's glory, we use it for our own glory, don't we? We use it for the glory of man. Instead of worshipping God, worshipping the Creator, we worship creation, the very thing that we are to subdue and have dominion over and use to God's glory. 
You see, man is indeed corrupt because of sin. And man is not fulfilling this stewardship as we ought. You know, one commentator wrote this. He said, man would find himself immeasurably more productive and effective in his pursuit of science and technology if he would only approach them in the reverent and believing attitude of an honest and good servant of his maker. And so true, if we would utilize things to God's glory, how much more effective we would be. You see, how sad it is that mankind has taken the stewardship that God has given to us, the commission to subdue and have dominion over, and we've used those very things to now dishonor God, to dishonor the Creator. You know, as believers, this must not be so. As believers, we must seek to live up to this commission, be good stewards of this earth, to his glory. And we must seek to appreciate and care for God's wonderful creation and invest and use it for his honour and glory. Now, we're not talking, of course, about being greenies, no, because they worship creation. But we're talking about being respectful and utilising what God has given us and we use it to his glory, don't we? Good stewards of this earth. The second major point I want us to look at this evening is we see now God's provision. We talked about God's commission. We see now God's provision for food. Verse 29 of chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 29, it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you, it shall be for meat. After giving man this commission, God now tells him of the provision of food to sustain him. You know, God's given man work to do, hasn't he? Okay, we just talked about it. He's given man this responsibility of being good stewards over his creation. In chapter 2, verse 15, Adam is charged with taking care of and dressing the Garden of Eden. Let's read that. Chapter 2, verse 15. It says that the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so Adam in particular had this work to do. He was to, to dress, he was to care for the Garden of Eden. And so God's given man work to do and naturally this expends energy, doesn't it? Okay, God's created our bodies this way to expend energy as we work. We need to renew this energy. And here we see that the energy source that God gave to Adam and Eve here at the beginning was in the form of fruits and herbs, which of course God created on day three. We just read it before, but verse 29 it says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. So God's original plan for man was that they would be sustained by the fruit of the ground. You know, there's no possibility for this supply of food to run out either, is there? Remember God on day three, when he created uh, the plant life, God filled the earth with plant life. So there's plenty of plant life and God's created to reproduce after its kind. God's covered the earth with this food source. So God in his grace has provided this wonderful, extensive food source for man, for Adam and his descendants. They spread out across the globe. 
so that they could indeed fill the earth, replenish the earth. You know, verse 30, it goes on to tell us that this was to be the food source for the animals as well. In verse 30 we read, And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. So verse 30 makes it clear this was the food source for the animals as well. And so it's very clear from this passage, verse 29 and verse 30, that both man and beast were created in the beginning to only eat the fruit of the ground. This was the original perfect state of God's creation. Now one commentator said this, he said, From this it follows that according to the creative will of God, men were not to slaughter animals for food, nor were animals to prey upon one another. In other words, from the beginning it wasn't so. In the beginning when God created all these things, it was not God's will for man to slaughter the animals. It was not God's will for the animals to slaughter one another. That was not how God created all things. You know, in reality, this makes sense. When we consider the fact that death didn't enter into the world until sin. Okay, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, that's when death entered into the world. Romans chapter 5, let's turn there. Romans 5. Romans 5 and verse 12, we know this verse well. It says, Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. And so death is the result of Adam's sin. It entered into the world. It wasn't part of God's creation. Okay, Death wasn't part of it. It entered in through sin. It is part of the corruption. It is part of the curse. And so it makes sense that man and beast were created to survive on plants alone. It makes sense. They were not created to to kill and to to be killed. It's not until after the flood that man receives authority, man receives a commission from God to eat the flesh of animals. Go to chapter 9 of Genesis with me. Genesis chapter 9. This is after the flood, as Noah and his family are coming off the ark. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand, are they delivered? Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. So here we have Genesis chapter 9 as they exit the ark. God gives this commission, this blessing and commission to Noah and his sons, and he tells them that the food source now is extended to the animals. Every living thing that moveth is given to him for meat. And so the truth is that we have been given this mandate, haven't we? Okay, We have been given this mandate to eat meat. It's part of God's blessing, part of God's commission to man after the flood. But the point is, it wasn't God's provision from the beginning. That's not what God's intention was 
originally here in Genesis chapter 1. Now, whether or not man had eaten meat against God's command before this time, before Genesis chapter 9, it's not clear. Although from the word of God, there does seem to be suggestions of it. If you go to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 20, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 20 we read, And Adar bare Jabal, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And so you have this man, Jabal here, is the father of those who have cattle, who keep cattle. And so there may be a suggestion here that he's raising them for meats. And so there may be men who, before the mandate, did eat meat, did start to eat meat after the fall. But we don't see a command, we don't see a commission, we don't see authority by God until after the flood. Now as far as the carnivorous animals are concerned, their desire to eat meat is also a later development. They were created like all animals to survive on plant life. We just read that in Genesis 1 verse 30. But sometime after Adam and Eve sinned, as part of the curse, these animals began to survive on meat. These animals began to eat meat and began to be a threat unto mankind as well. It's part of the curse, if you like. And the scriptures reveal that there is a day coming when Christ will return. He will come back to this earth. He will set up his rule and reign here on earth. And when he does so, he will restore the earth in part to this perfect state that it was at creation. There will once again be no predators or a struggle between animals or between man and beasts. Isaiah chapter 11 tells about that. Let's go over there, Isaiah chapter 11. And Isaiah chapter 11, and let's read from verse 6. It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of an asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so here we see in Isaiah chapter 11 this prophecy, the day is coming when the earth will be restored to this perfect state. There will be peace once again amongst God's creation when Christ is ruling and reigning here on earth. And this was how it was at creation in the beginning. So we've seen this evening that man is given this commission by God. We've seen the provision of food in the form of plants. And now thirdly and lastly, we see that God's work is complete. God's work is complete. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 with me. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God's work is now complete. In six literal 24-hour days, God has created everything we see. Everything. 
from the, the greatest works in the heavens right down to the minutest little bugs. God created all of it in these six literal days. And these work culminated in the creation of man. And having finished this work and given man these instructions, we read here in verse 31 that God declares everything to be very good. You know, six times before this, God has said his creation is good. But now that it's complete and it's all in perfect harmony with each other, God declares it to be very good. His work is complete and it's perfect. There's, there's nothing about God's creation here that's out of place. Nothing out of place. It is perfect. It is exactly as God intended it to be. It is indeed very good. In chapter 2, we read verses 1 to 3, it stresses the fact that God's creative work is complete. It's finished. Verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested. On the seventh day from all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. Now we all know it well. Day seven, God rested. Why? Because his creative work is complete. Everything he was going to make was done in those six literal days. It's finished. And so God now rests. Nothing is left that needs to be done. God's wonderful, amazing, awesome work of creation is complete. You know, as believers, all we can do is look around at this awesome creation. Look at the stars. Look at the the sun, the moon. Look at the, the trees. Look at all the animal life. Look at ourselves and our intricate bodies. Look at everything God has done. His awesome creation. The awesome power of God. And you know, as we consider those things, it ought to make us like David ask the question. Psalm 8 verse 4, he says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? That really should be our response. As we consider everything God has done, we consider his awesome power to think that God is concerned with us. Is an awesome, wonderful, amazing thought. You know, the earth is but just a tiny planet in this vast universe and we are but specks upon that planet but our awesome almighty God cares about us loves us enough that he sent his own son to die upon the cross to redeem us now what a wonderful amazing thought that is you know as we conclude looking at these days of creation our response truly ought to be one of praise. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, we read this. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. May we give all praise and glory to Him this evening for His wonderful creation. Let's close a time in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Genesis chapter 1 and the, the many great truths that we have seen over the past weeks. 
Lord, we thank you for this evening, the commission that you've given to man. Lord, the provision of food that you've given to us. Lord, you sustain us. And we thank you, Lord, that you, you care about us enough to send your son to die for us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. May we, we tonight be left in awe of all you've done. May we give all praise and glory to your name. Lord, bless we pray in Jesus' name.